Hey, everyone. You are listening to the Divergent Conversations podcast. We are two neurodivergent mental health professionals in a neurotypical world. I'm Patrick Cassell. And I'm Dr. Neff. And during these episodes, we do talk about sensitive subjects, mental health, and there are some conversations that can certainly feel a bit overwhelming. So we do just want to use that disclosure and disclaimer before jumping in. And thanks for listening. Hey, everyone, you're listening to another episode of Divergent Conversations. I'm your co-host, Patrick Cassell. And I'm Dr. Neff. And today we are going to talk about traveling and our neurodiverse experiences while traveling. I just got back from 30 days in Europe and work retreat mode. And I know you and I were talking on Instagram a lot about mm-hmm. what the experience was like and how I was showing up and impacted. And it was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting. Cause I, you know, from the Instagram messaging we were doing, I could tell like the drain that you were experiencing over there. And I'd love to hear more like in person, well, in zoom person, um, what your experience was of traveling. I know you love traveling and we've talked about that before, but I also got the sense that this trip, I don't know, was this trip different for you? It was really testing um, for a lot of reasons, you know, like 30 days abroad, um, away from home, away from my partner and my dogs and my bed. Uh But like those things, I think, would be challenging for anybody in a lot of ways. I think the things that were like really evident for me and really challenging for me was one. I was I was traveling with a friend and business partner. So like I did the whole time. Yeah, the whole 30 days. So I My felt daughter like and I were just talking about this, about how like being alone versus being with someone else you're tracking makes a world of difference. I thought you were alone. I didn't realize you were with someone. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what came up when you and your daughter were talking about this, because I'm sure it's very relatable and similar to what I was experiencing. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was interesting. They had, um, my, my husband had taken them to Olive Garden, which is their like favorite restaurant. And I typically don't go. And I... Um, it, it was kind of a sweet moment. My daughter had just had a meltdown and was having a lot of kind of um, shame around that. And I was like reminding her like this is, you know, this is your body having a response. This is outside of your control. So we were talking about and she she was asking me about like meltdowns. So I was like, I have more shutdowns. And I was like, you know, that's like why I didn't go to the restaurant with, with you all. And um, because I know I would just be kind of like I wouldn't be there. And so we're talking about meltdown shutdowns and then we're talking about what it's how she's like, yeah, you know, I notice it's easier for me to be in public or to be like, it's, she's like, that's what I liked when I wasn't in person schools. I only had to track myself. I wasn't tracking like what my brother was doing or you or dad. And I, I was just relating to that. I'm like, yeah, like I really so much easier for me to travel alone, to go to a coffee shop alone, just to be in the world alone when I'm tracking my children, when I'm tracking my dog when I'm tracking my spouse it's just it's too much yeah and it's multi-faceted right like that's very layered like there's a mm-hmm. tracking I imagine as a parent where it's like this is kind of my responsibility to track mm-hmm. and then like the tracking that goes on when we're constantly tracking body language and uh-huh. absorbing energy and and just responding to and kind of almost like 
anticipating and trying to attune and trying to be connected and trying to respond appropriately and all the things that go into relational dynamics. Yeah. 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 It's, it was so, it was so hard in so many ways, but I think I anticipated that. Like I, I knew going in, like, this is not going to be an easy 30 days. Like for most people on Mm -hmm. the outside looking in, if you're saying like, Oh, I'm traveling from Greece to Italy to Spain to Portugal. People are like, that's fucking amazing. And I, I don't want to discount that either because there were amazing moments. Um, but man, it was just constant uh, tracking and energy absorption and overwhelm. And you're talking like planes, trains, automobile situation where you're living uh-huh. out of a suitcase. You can't get settled. Yeah, that's uh, a ton of transitions you did in 30 days. Yeah, we stayed in 10 different rentals in that 30 day period in four different countries. So, is that how you typically travel? No, this was very specific because um, we were we were there to host a um, a retreat in Spain at the end of April, but we were also there to find venues for 2024 retreat destinations. Mm-hmm. So, we were meeting with like hotel managers and venue hosts and Oh, so you were people and as well all the time. So it was oh like gosh. going on tours to not only like highlight this is what we're going to do when all of you come mm-hmm. here next year, but also to meet people and, and build connections. And so it was constant. And mm-hmm. I found myself, um, I found myself significantly more quiet than I usually am. And I'm mm-hmm. usually quiet in general. And then feeling really disconnected and also just like, really having to be very intentional about energy. So there were days where I was like, I'm not peopling today. And I would tell my friend, I can't commit to what we're going to do tomorrow. I'm just going to stay in the Airbnb. Um, There was a night at the retreat in Spain where I was just over it. Like we had gone to Barcelona. There's a group of 32 of us. And I was very often like the one who was like tracking but also yeah. for safety purposes, like yeah. making sure we have our group, making sure everyone's together, like all the things. And I'm very, very crowded, overstimulating city in Barcelona with people everywhere. And, you know, I just was like, I got back to the venue that night and they were getting ready for dinner. And I was like, I'm going back to our Airbnb. Like, I'm just going to walk down the hill, go into my room, watch Netflix, like not do this thing. And and thankfully, having the ability to do that was was an option. But holy shit, a lot. Yeah, that like I feel kind of overwhelmed just hearing about all you're doing. I know I like I knew you were looking at retreat sites, but I guess I didn't think through kind of the logistics of how much transitions and peopling and um, yeah, that wasn't really a vacation, huh? No, not at all. I don't think we had many restive, restorative, like relaxing days and. It's a matter of like being on the go, then having to attend to someone else and attune to someone else and and track someone else mm-hmm. when I wanted to just be alone and just be like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I will say my, my friend and business partner did a great job of acknowledging, like, I can tell this is where your energy is and I don't yeah. I'm not Good. push that. And that was helpful. Um, but there were definitely days where I was rendered pretty like, um, unable to do anything besides get out of bed and like eat and take mm-hmm. care of my basic needs. And 
for me, I think that brings up a lot of shamefulness still to this day where I'm mm -hmm. like, why can't I push through this? And it's really yeah. not pushed through. It's like, yeah, you're overstimulated and you need to really ground and regulate. And mm -hmm. I think that for me, you still brings up some, some psychological and emotional, like, um, thought processes and experiences where I'm like, why can't you just fucking do this? Like, yeah, I get up and go have this good time with this group. And I'm like, I, I can't do it. There's not a, there's no way I can do that. And hmm. asking for what you need in these moments is, is crucial, but I know it's also challenging for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. to do it well, that experience right there, that, that moment of like, why can't you just push through this and like, go enjoy this group? I feel like now I understand it, but before I know I was autistic, I would have that experience so much. It's what I called years ago with my therapist before I knew I was autistic, the pexi glass of like, I cannot get into my experience. And I'd be in these, whether I was at a family gathering or especially like a, like an extended family vacation or a social gathering or a group dinner, like I would be sitting there in my head being like, get into this experience, get into it, get into it, get into it. And unable to and I'd have so much confusion around why I kind of get into my experience so much shame around it I would start like doubting kind of my key relationships of does this mean there's something wrong with my relationship that I can't be in this experience but that to me that kind of when the body puts the brakes on and it's like no like you're you're, you're staying in bed today or like you just can't go do that group thing like you were talking about that experience in that hotel to me, that is like one of those grief moments when I talk about grieving my autism. Like that is a moment where I grieve being autistic. That's those are fucking painful. Yeah, yeah, they're they're really fucking painful. And because in, and in your in your moments, like your body is then saying like having that like finally like this is what I needed. But your brain is not saying that to you when you're laying in mm -hmm. bed and trying to like recover. What my brain is saying is like. How can you trick your body into continuing to push yeah. through? Yeah. Even though you don't have anything left. Uh -huh. Right. Yep. How can you bypass this thing your body's doing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, how can I do these like mental gymnastics mm -hmm. of like, oh, it's okay because you're gonna like fuel up on caffeine or like you're gonna like mm -hmm. numb out on alcohol. And that's how yeah. you're gonna the two options. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh. And, you yeah. know, I definitely paid attention to that throughout the 30 days. Of like, well, you drank a lot in 30 days. And I thought, if I didn't in those moments, like it would have felt so overwhelmingly unbearable <laughs> to <laughs> feel that constant buzz of like anxiety and tension and like constant <laughs> overwhelm that it was yeah. almost necessity. And I know we're we're gonna have to do an episode on substance use at some point, but I was literally just thinking that I was like, we've got to talk about alcohol. Yeah, but it was, it was challenging. And, um, you know, as someone who hosts these events, I will find myself defaulting to like movement, you know, which is like yeah. a cleaning yeah. up after 30 people. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is always my, partly it gives oh, you a role. Yeah. And yeah. it's allowing you to like, just be in motion, you know, and yeah. like, yeah. And not having to talk or, or process uh -huh. anything else that's happening. So, yeah. which further creates exhaustion and exacerbation in your body because your body's uh -huh. like, and what I was noticing, and I wanted to message you this while I was noticing it, was like, everything was intensified, right? So like the throbbing mm -hmm. of your feet is intensified. Mm -hmm. The pain in your back is intensified. Mm -hmm. Your 
frustration tolerance and irritability mm -hmm. are massively heightened. Everything's heightened. And mm -hmm. my friend said it to me one day, like our last one of our last days in Portugal, when I was describing like how torturous this experience feels like because she's neurotypical and she's like waking up bubbly every day. And I'm like, how the fuck do people do this? First of all, um, and she was like, it sounds like your experience in life is like a open nerve ending that yeah. is just being like shocked all yeah. the time by everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that feels pretty freaking accurate. That's so interesting. So I, again, before I had the autism lens, the way I used to describe my daughter was as if her nervous system was on the outside of her skin, mm -hmm. like just a live wire of nerves. Um, and there is something that so, this really captures the autistic experience with that that idea of an open nerve. Um, yeah, that feels really relatable. Yeah, and I think like once you once you're able to like relate to that and 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 kind of um, create that picture for somebody else who doesn't get it, mm -hmm. it, it offers a lot of like insight into what day to day is. But I think again, circling back to what you said about that grief, is that creates an enormous amount of grief because yes there's no protective like armor that you're putting on and when you have mm -hmm. to go out into the world so yeah it's one of those things where in that moment when you're like yeah that does describe my experience that is how it feels mm -hmm. but then my brain's like what is the alternative my life my life <laughs> yeah i i never i rarely leave my house yeah no i yeah, I mean, I, I could get emotional talking about this. Like, the, it does feel like the decision is to have a really small life or to lean into experiences, but to be constantly confronted with the too muchness of the world. I don't like either option, but that's kind of what we have. I can feel like emotion for you, knowing that our worlds are vastly different in terms of how mm. we're experiencing them. Mm. Yeah, and I think you're right. It's 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 gotta. There's no middle ground here, is there? Is there like I don't know who's found it. I I, I would love to know. Yeah, and I, I guess now I'm now my like um, I don't know if it's guilt or pro my protective instincts are coming in of like I'm sure there's a middle ground, and I'm sure that's my all or nothing thinking, saying like we've got two terrible options here. I think there is. I think I think nature actually provides a middle ground. Like the one place I can go outside my home. And, and feel restored um, is nature. So whether that's, and I, I'm in Oregon, so whether that's the coast or I I live near forests, so going on walks in the forest. Um, and it not only doesn't take, I mean, it's, yeah, it's the one place I can go out in the world and it recharges me. And so I think nature and green space can be that sort of in-between space. Or like for me, I, I can't really do restaurants, but if I'm eating outside at a restaurant, um, that 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 works. So the outdoors, I really live in the wrong state. I mean, it rained like six months out of the year here. I I keep I always I'm, ever since we got married, I've been asking my spouse like, "Can we move to California? I need some sunshine." Yeah, that's fair. I think that's a good point. Like nature is a good. Middle ground, such a good regulatory place for people and grounding space. I think that's what was challenging is like big city followed by train slash plane okay. slash chaos of airport or train station. And 
then like having to show up and do the agenda or the itinerary or meet with the tour guide or this person. And like, one, I hate being boxed in by fucking scheduling. And that just creates even more uh, immense pressure, I think. But ultimately, it also is just so tiring, like for any human being, but it was just unbelievably overstimulating. And I just felt so overwhelmed throughout those 30 days. And before I left, I told my therapist, I said, I know these 30 days are going to be really fucking hard. And here's what I would like my goal to be is that I would like to go into it knowing that most days are going to be a challenge. But I would also like to somehow be able to acknowledge the little things like the beautiful Mm -hmm. scenery that I get to see and the good food and the good conversations that come up with random people that I meet. I'd like to be able to have both exist and be true. And Mm -hmm. I do think that was captured because although I would say the extent of the 30 days was unbelievably overwhelming and I don't think I could ever put myself through another 30 days like that. I, there were good moments too. Mm-hmm. Like there are definitely moments that I can anchor into and remember. Yeah. And I think that's the way that I can get through those experiences is to yeah. acknowledge like, yeah. all right, to me sucked, but one glimpse of like positivity and, and, and solid connection and food that was good or like beautiful stuff. And I think that was helpful for me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that ability to hold the both and of, and to intentionally be like bringing to mind the sensory pleasurable moments and the delight. Yeah, yeah. Such a therapist it, way of thinking too. Like all it, it, it really is, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing uh, a couple of months of my workbooks on gratitude. So I've been diving into the gratitude research and it, it's, a, it's been a good reminder of like, yeah, like it's really what we're priming our brains to see, like we will see. And, um, the power of that, I, I'm kind of diverging, I I guess our podcast is literally called Divergent Conversation. So I guess I don't need to ask permission for that. Um, but this idea of gratitude and sensory overload also in processing as I'm talking, this doesn't always go well. Um, but I think that's part of what makes travel for me a more okay sensory experience is it feels like it's selective sensory overload. Like I know I'm opting into that. Um, and I know why I'm doing it. And it's because of the value of like having a new experience and engaging with other cultures. Like these are such high values for me that I've somehow psychologically prepared for the sensory overload. And so then when it happens, I, it feels like I have, like a sturdiness um, psychologically to hold that. Like if I go to the grocery store and I get sensory overloaded, the narrative that starts running is like, damn it, I can't even go to the grocery store. Like, and, and then it it starts running this narrative of like the shame and the the grief and the like throwing myself a pity party for how limited my body is. But if I get sensory overloaded when I'm, you know, in Germany with my son having an awesome experience, it's like, yeah, I signed up for this. I chose this. So there's a more empowering narrative that comes online around it. And my travel experience last summer was a really powerful realization of, I mean, sensory overload is sensory overload, 
but also, and also, the narrative we tell ourselves about that sensory overload impacts our experience of that sensory overload. And that was a really powerful discovery for me after Germany of like, okay, I can handle this more than I thought I could. Um, and, and just, I can't, I mean, yeah, I can use accommodations and there's some things I can do to manage sensory overload, but there's a lot of that that's outside of my control, but I can have some influence over the story I'm telling about the experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think that feels somewhat freeing in a way to know like there is the ability to almost train your brain or at least prepare your brain and strength mm -hmm. to say like I acknowledge that this is going to be overwhelming but the payoff is is mm -hmm. worth it in a lot of ways too mm -hmm. and I think that's what travel is for so many of us you know like this romanticized idea of like what life can be like but then also it is like new sights new scenery new smells new sounds new people and that stuff is on the positive end of the spectrum for me in terms of stimulation opposed to mm -hmm. the, the opposite side where it's like everything is just too much all the time. But you're right. If I go to the grocery store, it's a it's a fucking nightmare for me. So like, yeah, it's like the mustard was not worth that or whatever. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, so being able to select and, you know, you and I have talked about time and energy and and how important these things are and. Maybe that's a big part of it too, is just the acknowledgement of the intentionality behind mm -hmm. the, the planning and the trip and and knowing that, yeah, it's going to be overwhelming, but here's what's important to me in life. And I know that if I'm going to spend X amount of energy, I'd rather do it doing that than mm -hmm. leaving mm -hmm. my house run errands or or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of selective and value-based choice around and that's again where like you know the conversation of privilege comes back in right if um you and i both have the privilege of being able to work from home so for people some people are using all their sensory spoons on work and and that's it and then they're and they're coming home they're crashing they're waking up doing it that's before i was working from home all my sensory spoons was going um to work because and and i was like going into deficit um so it's it's also like not always a choice for people. It's sure. all going toward survival. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great point to make and um, just to remember as well and reframe. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting topic. Like I've actually, it, but I use that, use the platform in a lot of ways. Like one of my talks was on neurodiversity at our retreat and that was really powerful mm -hmm. to have. 30 people sit there and like experience that not only those who don't know me or who do but like people's spouses who came on the event and right. like snapping yeah. on the box I thought that was really fucking cool so those things energize me so I was trying to like okay if your battery is at 28 percent you know how can you give x amount of that to this talk and then crash afterwards so I was mm -hmm. trying to get permission to like and I would say that in my talk too like after I done today mm -hmm done and another thing i noticed for myself is task switching is so challenging like <laughs> the end three days of this trip we went from spain to portugal and the retreat was over and i noticed as soon as the retreat was over i was like i'm done like why uh -huh. am i not yeah home? am i continuing on this fucking trip um 
And I just realized like, okay, in preparation next time, once the event is over, everything's got to come to an end mm-hmm. because in my mind, everything is now finalized and wrapped up. Yeah. And yeah. I'm trying to convince myself like to be able to get through the next three days mm-hmm. in a new country. So it was a very interesting experience. And it, I met some people along the way, like I was on a food tour one night in Spain and this woman, it was just my friend and two other people. That seemed to be the, the gist. Every time we went on a tour, it was just either my friend and I or one or two other people must've been shoulder season. But after two or three hours, she looked at me and we were like walking across this bridge. It was like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. And she's like, are you autistic? And I was like, hmm, strange, wow. but ballsy. And I was like, uh-huh. yeah. And she's like, oh, my daughter is too. And I just noticed a lot of similarities here and then wanted to pick my brain about a million things about how I could help oh. her daughter. But I thought that was very cool because yeah. like, I am trying to do everything in my power to support her and have a relationship mm-hmm. with her. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. And it was mm-hmm. just, wow. I think it felt, it felt like a great moment of connection to just be, be yeah. And and vulnerable, and also offer some guidance as well, and some yeah. some feedback and support. This happens to you. That happened at the parade. Well, I think you maybe self disclosed at the parade with the kid who is who is I think autistic ADHD. Um, that's that's a really interesting. Uh, so the idea of like, um, being visibly autistic. Devin Price talks about that in his book a lot as like that's a form of self advocacy. Um. Uh, I, I guess I've made some assumptions of where I wouldn't think you would be visibly autistic to where a stranger on a train would be asking, are, are you autistic? Um, that's really interesting to me. Do you think you present like, what am I trying to ask? I guess I'm trying to ask. Yeah. Like, do you feel like you present visibly autistic? What's that experience like for you? I think that when I'm not in the mood to do something, I probably present pretty visibly autistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that like was through one- stimming or through like in what? Stimming, very short answers, not making oh. eye contact when I respond to things. Um, yeah. Really not. And being very, I'm very like, when I don't want to do be somewhere, I it's pretty well known that like mm. in my body language and my facial expressions and mm-hmm. probably affect gets flatter and um, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to be there at that food tour that yeah. night I was exhausted and I was like I don't want to fucking go yeah uh, I'm glad I did but like yeah I think it's one of those situations where but I thought I thought that was an interesting question you know we were also in a small group all night so there was some like con conversation going on and there was some socializing going on too so Mm-hmm. But it was it was just very interesting to me to be like out of the blue as you're like finishing mm-hmm. up and wrapping up, like, oh, by the way, is this a thing? And I was like, Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. 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 But you know, I, it's interesting. If we would have had that conversation earlier in the night, I would have been all into the experience. Like I would have been like yeah. way less removed from it instead of uh-huh. just I'm just here. I don't want to fucking do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, that's in I, I feel like in public I'm the same way, short answers, like I, I, yeah, flat affect. I think it just gets coded as like for, for women as like bitchiness or mean or standoffish, which, but it's, but then again, she, she had an intimate knowledge of autism because of her kid. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. I, so there's someone, um, 
my my son just switched to at home learning, but he was going to school before that. And there's a parent who I'd often see at at drop off and pick up, and I was like, okay, I can I can tell they're autistic. And I thought about like, do I go up and ask them and like make this connection? But then I was like, but what if will they experience that as defensive? Like it's it was this really interesting moment of like when I can kind of tell someone's autistic and I want to make that connection, but then I have no idea how they are, A, if they're aware they're autistic, B, where they are in their process of like integrating that as an affirming part of their identity. Um, So it's, it's always an interesting experience of also not just being visible, but then also when you're kind of tracking other people who are visibly autistic and then whether or not to ask or yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that once you have a very good understanding of yourself and and what to look for in people, it's it becomes much more apparent in in a lot of relationships. And I I feel the same way where I'm like, "Ooh, do I want to have this conversation?" but I usually opt not to until someone brings it up. But like at the retreat even, I was paying attention to people around me like cuz I was mm-hmm. like, "Hey, I I have a sense that some of these folks are probably not aware that they're either autistic or ADHD or autistic ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I was just paying attention to their social interactions and their their uh, body language and how they were moving through the experience. And then some of them came up to me afterwards and self-disclosed and was like, mm-hmm. thank you so much for just talking about this openly all the time because I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Hopefully that's a goal of this podcast for us, for, for people is just to be able to talk about it more openly together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that's um, probably one of the top themes of in like DMs or emails is people, especially people in our profession, the mental health profession who are autistic or ADHD, um, but where it's, it wouldn't be like financially safe or career safe to be out their like number one thing is like, thank you for being visible, which honestly, I don't know how much, like, I think it was a combination of like privilege and naivety and impulsivity that I like just came out as autistic and yeah, changed my life around. But yeah. I think it's, um, it, it is a privileged place to be able to openly talk about it all the time. But, um, I'm glad that it is impactful too. You know, because I know at one point we're going to have a different conversation um, on the podcast about stuff you and I have been DMing about and um, in terms of self-diagnosis and social media influence on mm-hmm. you. And, you know, it is something to think about, too, about like being openly outed and on social media and doing that in a way where you don't have a lot of control over the narrative either. What do you mean by that? So if you're if you're putting it out to the world, like I applaud you and a hundred percent, but you don't always have control over the um, the impact or the fallout that that can cause from oh. people as well, like family, friends, colleagues. Um, okay. you know, um, unfortunately, there can be a lot of um, a lot of trauma that is inflicted too. So it's it's just a challenge. Mm-hmm. To- out like when is the right time and is there a right time for everybody and i think it's important to have these conversations yeah yeah um yeah absolutely i i kind of tend to caution people post-diagnosis discovery like 
sit with it yep. before you kind of start disclosing. Yeah, because I think there's such a desire to like claim, right? And, and mm-hmm. identify, and I, I think it's really powerful and empowering. But I think there's there can be ramifications on that you're not looking for, unfortunately. And oh, absolutely, absolutely. And you've got to have like, um, a you've got to have the confidence in the diagnosis to withstand all the people in in, in the life that will often say like, no, you're not, and then compare you to like their seven year old white nephew. Um, yep. So that's one. And then you've got to have like energy spoons to educate people as you disclose so that there's so much yeah and and then the like unexpected fallout um sometimes it's really beautiful like sometimes there's that ripple effect of like many people in the family system then get identified or diagnosed and it's this like beautiful new lens that brings people together but yeah sometimes it's it goes really sideways and becomes this divisive thing well, that's good foreshadowing for a future episode. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know why my brain diverged there, but you know, it's uh that's on my mind as well. And I think that it's just something I feel good about right now in terms of being able to have spoken about that and have private and side conversations with some people over the last couple of weeks. And that's been it's been cool because I mean it's just great to see more and more people talking about neurodiversity in general and it feels good that there seems to be a, a, a really proactive advocacy movement right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I started in this space almost two years ago and like, oh my gosh, in the last two years, a lot has happened. You're, you're a big part of that too. It's weird. I don't like see myself that way. Like, I think I somehow objectively know that's, probably true but like i don't experience it that way or i don't know it's weird well we're in that awkward transition time so yeah is it our time to do our awkward goodbye yeah i think it's time to do our awkward goodbye and you know i think also just really excited to be releasing on friday not that anyone who listens oh, yeah. to this episode is going to know that but but yeah, but this Friday we'll be releasing episode one and two. And then, yeah. All right. Oh, wait. Okay. Before we leave, I can, yeah, I'm actually curious, like, how are you feeling about us releasing? Can we talk about that here? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Nobody's going to hear this for weeks anyway. Yeah. Um, That's why I think it'll be kind of interesting, actually. I think it's a, you know, I already have a podcast that has a following, but this is a different type of podcast, you know, like mm-hmm. the other one is much more entrepreneurial and, focused on like mindset stuff and the episodes that I've done with you or with other um, neurodivergent entrepreneurs have always been hits and I've enjoyed them quite a bit. But I think there's a, a, a added layer here of vulnerability and intimacy yeah. in way of like, this is a topic that is our reality, right? Like, and I also mm-hmm. think I also acknowledge the fact that these types of conversations are going to be really impactful and emotional for a lot of people who listen. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think it feels like um, some layer of responsibility there in a way of like mm-hmm. how we show up. I don't know. I, I think it's, I feel like it's complicated, but I'm excited yeah. for it to be out there. And I'm, I've enjoyed our, our process for 
figuring out how to best do this together and how to navigate timing and scheduling and trip and just trying to stay in a rhythm together and and just doing and honoring what we both need when when we don't feel up for it like i think that's been it's been a cool experience so far yeah what about you? yeah yeah um it's interesting i mean i'm really excited about this project i think when we were starting about talking it uh, a lot of words started talking about doing it i was really intentional of like i want to move beyond education which I should probably think about like, do I actually have the luxury of doing that as someone who's a psychologist? But anyway, back to intent. Um, I was very aware, like on Instagram and my website, it's pretty educational and I'm I'm not doing a lot of reflection of my experience as being autistic. So I, I think you mentioned this in the DMs of like, it feels kind of like a vulnerable thing to put out there and it'll be yeah, I mean, I guess that will be interesting of depending on, like, for example, when I say that there's moments I grieve my autism, I imagine that some people will really, um, I, th- I think for some people to give them permission, I think for some people that will, that will make it sound like I'm not neurodivergent affirming. And so I think that would be a hard, like, if my experience becomes a pain point in the autistic community, I think that will be harder because it's, I'm talking about my experience versus myself as an expert. And I think that's muddy, right? Because sometimes we, sometimes I am bringing in research and I'm talking from an expertise. Sometimes I'm talking from my experience Um, and we're going to get feedback on all of that. And I think that's going to feel really vulnerable. And I will probably not read a lot of the comments for that reason, or like ask um, you or, or like, my VA to kind of filter the comments because um, those things I know can kind of hijack my nervous system when when there's a wave of stuff around that. For sure. Well, So excitement and vulnerability. Yeah, it sounds like we're in the right place then. Yeah. <laughs> excitement and vulnerability. So hopefully when we circle back after this episode is released, we have more to say about that. But I, I agree 100%. And I've got your back in that. And I know um, that we can rely on the people that we hire and have support our businesses help with stuff like that as well. So yeah, I'm excited and I'm nervous and uh, all the things. So, What's our awkward goodbye tagline? We like had a tagline once upon a time, a place where we like are okay with awkward goodbyes. Yeah, I think it was just like, we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, so, I love the directness of that. Yep. So everyone who's listening uh, to the Divergent Conversations podcast on all major platforms out every single Friday. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. And now pause for a word from our sponsors. From new patients faced with an empty lobby and no idea where to find their therapist to clinicians with a session running overtime and the doorbell ringing. Some of the most anxiety-ridden moments of a therapy appointment happen before a session even starts. This episode's sponsor, The Receptionist for iPad, helps you tackle some of that pre-appointment apprehension and anxiety. The Receptionist for iPad is an easy-to-use digital client check-in system that helps your visitors check in securely to their appointments and notify their practitioners of their arrival via SMS, email, 
or your preferred channel. No more confusion, endless lobby checking, or having clients sign in on paper logbooks. It can even help you upgrade and update your demographic information for your clients as well and even validate parking. Start a 14-day free trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com slash private practice. Make sure to start your trial with that link and you'll also get your first month free if you decide to sign up.